I'm going to be speaking about um, antidote to anxiety. Um, you may already feel this or know this, but we live in a time that is being called um, that we're living in the gener- generation of anxiety. Anxiety is a pervasive experience across um, really all age groups, but our, our children, our adolescents are facing anxiety at unprecedented levels. Um, the threats that they feel, the insecurities that they experience the, um, are, is, is profound. And the question becomes is, is there a way out? Is there, is there some way to work our way through anxiety? And so, so let's talk a little bit about what is anxiety, and I'd like to hear from you. Like, what, how would you describe in a word or two, what is anxiety? Anxious, yeah. Fear, good. Overwhelm, worry, excellent. No control, yes. Um, how many of you like could pull something to mind within the last week that you would say you've experienced some level of anxiety, some level of worry, some level of you can feel something internally that is a threat? Is that a pretty common experience? Um, things that you lay in bed at night and you stay awake, um, and it keeps you up, and you, you stare at the ceiling, and, and you think you're tired, and you lay down, and all of a sudden, there's an awful lot to think about, and there's an awful lot that could go wrong, and there's an awful lot that could just beat me down, um, and things that could just, just a couple things could happen, and it could unravel the entirety of my life and ruin me forever, uh, and anxiety is that deep pressure. You can think about anxiety as existing in our bodies, so our bodies will have a response to anxiety that our heart racing, sweaty, palpitations. Our body is, you can feel it ang- um, angsty. It's, it's, in, it's in the body itself. You can also think about anxiety as being in our minds. There's something internally um, that we're thinking. It, it keeps us awake at night. You can also think about um, that anxiety can live in our behaviors, that we can act out anxiously. And, and so our behaviors have an anxiety connected to them. How many of you ever get tired of organizing your life around your own anxieties or around the anxieties of other people? Um, I, I think like that's, that's the places where anxiety comes to, to grip people in a really deep way. It's like, I don't want to organize my life around my own anxieties, let alone yours. Like, I don't want to have to adjust myself to your anxiety. So all of a sudden, anxiety is now a relational problem. It's like all of a sudden, my, my relationships are suffering because of other people's anxiety and because of my own. And so today I want to talk about an antidote to anxiety, but I want us to think about it across a spectrum. So there's a healthy form of anxiety that we might call motivation, that we might call um, responsibility, a sense that you got to get up and go to work, you got to pay your bills. There, there's a sense in which some levels of anxiety are, are good. What we want to talk about today is how do we deal with the malfunction um, that goes on in our bodies or goes on in our minds or, or what we might call the overfunction of anxiety. It's like, it's like we need the warning system of anxiety, but we also need it to settle down and be reasonable with us it, it, it's, so we can have a malfunction within our anxiety. So with that groundwork, let's start with Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. All right, so we're all guilty. We already established that. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, what is ever pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So, a thought, a thought experiment. Um, I want you to, um, for the duration of the um, 53 minutes this morning, um, or less, um, I want you to call to mind something fairly recent or something persistent in your life that you would say you might characterize as an anxious thought or an anxious feeling. Uh, I want you to kind of dial into it. And you got it? Got that picture in your mind? I want, just, I want you to be thinking through what we talk through, how you might come to understand that process um, a bit more. Um, so the first point I want to make is that anxiety is our default condition. We are, um, we start off anxious in life. It's not the way we were created, but it is our default today. So if you think about a baby being born, um, you see really, really high levels of anxiety moments after birth. The, the baby's screaming. It's like all of a sudden, the world is the most chaotic place possible, a place of absolute um, vulnerability, no power whatsoever, not even the ability to think. It's like just the body is about the, it's about, that's the only thing the baby has. It doesn't even have language. So it, it's like the baby has its body and the body is thrashing and screaming and it's like it needs to calm. Uh, I had this practice when, when our daughter was, um, before she was born, um, I would play my guitar and sing Jesus Loves Me. Um, to her um, in utero. And she was, after she was born and she came out and they cut the cord and she was screaming on the table. And I, I walked up to the table as the nurse was cleaning her up and I just bent over and I started singing, Jesus loves me really quietly into her ear. And immediately she went silent. And I was thinking like, what's happening internally for her is she's learning she's being taught how to be calm. Like, we have to teach ourselves, and we have to be taught not to be anxious, because anxiety is our default. We will be anxious. We will grow there. And so our, our responsibility is, I would say it's our spiritual responsibility, it's our spiritual discipline to manage our anxiety. It's your responsibility to, to apply yourself towards how to manage this space and that can be overwhelming because anxiety can be so debilitating. It can be so overwhelming. It can be so painful. There are so many things that have happened to us that are not our fault. There are so many things that have beat us down and discouraged us and have, have, have cut against us. And yet, here we are struggling. And so our responsibility is to apply ourselves to that which can bring healing. We, we, we bring ourselves into the places of healing, into the places of grace, into the places of comfort so that we can heal, so that our bodies can calm, that our minds can calm. And so we want to take responsibility for our responses to all the things that occurred to us that drive our anxieties, that, that press us. And we bring those, um, bring those back to God. 
And so, so it's helpful to think in terms of, okay, anxiety is not a foreigner. It is, it's your default. It's, it's, it's part of um, your current condition. And so if we look at God, um, point number two is God is a restful and non-anxious presence. Very different than us. Very, very, um, like, unthreatened. Like, God doesn't seem to be worried. He doesn't seem to have this sense that doom is waiting around the corner. He's not sitting up at night fretting. He's not worried that the bills won't get paid. And so God is this source for us of a God, of a non-anxious way of being. And so we can see some patterns um, in God's creation, the creation story, patterns where God, how God um, lived that we want to begin to model ourselves after. Um, on day one, God spoke and he created. And he did the work of creation. And he got to the end of the first day and he affirmed the quality of his work. He said, this was very good or this was good. And, and then he rested. The day was over. And the morning and the evening were the first day. And then day two comes, and God's works again. And God creates again. And he gets to the end of the day, and he looks back on his work, and he says, that was good. And he affirms the quality of his work, and he rests again. Uh, and third, day three, day four, day five, up through day six. On day six, the pinnacle of his creative work, he looks at it, and he says, this was, this was really, really good. Like, this was very good. People, well, this was a good idea. I like what I accomplished today. And he affirms the quality of what he did. And then he rested. And then he took a Sabbath. And he trusted the quality of his work that it was going to sustain itself while he wasn't working. And that is the space that's completely unlike us. How many of you believe in the quality of your work that it will endure and stand the test of time? It's like that's part of our anxiety is that we know it's not. We never make enough money. We always need a dollar more. We ne- nothing sustain. We're incapable of affirming the quality of our own work. We're insecure. We're inadequate. We know that we can't do it on our own. We can't. So what do we do? We either we live in our anxiety or we turn towards all sorts of ways of coping. We look to other people. We look to substances. We look to screens. We look to all sorts of ways in which we deal with the anxiety that we're facing. So I want you to call back to mind that thing that you brought to mind that you struggle. What are the ways in which you find that you cope with that? What are the, what are the things that you engage in to try to manage that particular space? Anyone want to share? You don't have to. Work. Work harder. Do. Avoidance. Good. Don't. I'm sorry? Wine. Yes. Working out? I'm sorry? Reading? Good. So we have some healthy ways of coping, and we have a lot that are less than healthy. That, that when we are coping in ways where we're trying to just simply suppress our anxiety, it will often take us down paths that hurt us or hurt the people that we love. And so we need to find our way through. What, is our, what are the ways in which we might cope. So I want to I compare um, anxious people to an anxious God. So, so take a look at, um, uh, for us, we, we can think about three kinds of anxiety. 
We can think about insecurity. This is that sense that I am not going to be enough. Like, I really don't have confidence that I'm going to measure up to the task. I'm not certain that you're going to like me. I'm not sure you're going to, to affirm me. I'm not certain. So what does that make me do? It's going to drive me to perform, 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 to, to make sure that I satisfy you because my insecurities are so strong. And in many regards, this is the primary problem in relationships is that we are very insecure with one another. And so rather than building places of security, we're in competition to try to, try to make it safe or we withhold ourselves from people or we become aggressive and try to pull out of some, I need you to be this for me. And that person said, I can't be that for you. And so our insecurity drives us. In contrast to God, God is self-affirming. I mentioned that in the creation story. Like, how many of us are able to, to affirm the quality of our work and believe that it's going to stand the test of time and I don't have to keep on working on it? It's like, we just can't do that. And that's, in essence, what God does. It's like, there's a scripture that talks about that Jesus accomplished his work on the cross and he sat down at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for you and me. Sitting down is this picture of, I'm done. Like, I don't have to keep doing this work over and over again. Jesus doesn't have to be crucified over and over again. We're going to celebrate communion in, in a few minutes. And it's, it's like, this is a re- we're celebrating it over and over again. But it happened once. And it's not happening today. Like, Jesus isn't suffering again today. He did that one time, and it was enough. Because God's self-affirming. What he does is enough. We never will experience that. We, we, what we do will never be enough on its own merits. And that's why our relationship to God becomes so critical uh, because we, we, uh, we listen to the voice of God and what he says about us versus what our anxiety says. Scarcity of resources is another component of anxiety. Um, it's why many people have a really strong work ethic. We can talk about the good qualities of a work ethic, and we should. A work ethic is important. It has its strengths. There's an over there's an overuse um, of work ethic in defense of anxiety. Um, people work, work, work. They got to make more. They just got to make more because they'll never, they'll never quite have enough. Um, I remember having a conversation with a, um, a terminally ill individual, and he was saying, I'm just so anxious because um, my, my spouse is only going to have a couple million dollars, and I'm just not, I just don't think it's going to be enough for it. It's like there was no amount of money. It wouldn't have mattered how big that number was. There, the threat to how quickly money can be gone, not, there's no security there. And so there's this, there's this persistent fear that we have a scarcity of resources. It dri- has driven wars across human history. It has, it's, vi- it's violence. It's, it's like we can't even, we can't even be, we can't even trust toilet paper supply under certain conditions. It's like we will, we will literally hoard some of the most basic things because of our fear of scarcity of resources. Um, compare that to God, limitless resources. There, God has no anxiety about, about his resources. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Like, that's what the pagans run after. Like, 
I feed the birds of the air and the sparrows. Like, what are you worried about? Like, like I have limitless resources. Like, I'm not, wor- I'm not worried. And, and so, so God doesn't share with us this deep anxiety about scarcity that drives us frantically and frenetically. It's like we are running around, working like crazy just to fill this anxiety void of scarcity. Um, then there's constant threats. We've been hurt. Like you've experienced pain. Some of you unspeakable injury, unspeakable trauma, unspeakable kinds of hurt. And the constant threat, the risk of taking, making myself vulnerable to other people is, is terrifying. In contrast to God who's sovereign, who has no threat. He has no equal. There is no his kingdom will not be threatened. The um, scripture says that even the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, against the, the, the people of God. God, is just, there's just no threat. We often feel afraid because we think that, oh, God is under attack or Christianity's being assaulted. And it's like, well, that's nothing new. Like, and, and it's never been a big threat to God. God doesn't seem to be wringing his hands about how much our culture is moving away from its Christian moorings. Like, that doesn't threaten God. It threatens us, but it doesn't threaten God. It makes me anxious, but it doesn't make God anxious. Um, and so we can see the, the radical difference um, between us and God. So call back to mind what your, your anxiety thing that you pulled to mind. Which categories was it in? Does it fit in one of those three? Probably. Um, any of that you would say that doesn't quite fit in any of those three? Health. Um, yeah, health I would put in the, the constant threat. Like I think our, our health is a place where it's really scary and it's like there's a constant threat around our mortality is hanging out there in front of us, and it's scary, and it's like there's a there's a deep thing. But you're you're true; it doesn't fit neatly in in one of those. Any others? So, as you think about your anxieties, it can be helpful to identify what category do you feel anxious in, and that can begin to start pointing you towards. What is your intervention or what is the way in which we begin to address that? And we can think in terms, if we want to lean into our faith as part of our anxiety struggles, we move towards what is God saying? What is it? What are the promises of God? What are the realities of God that I might bring my anxiety to? And so if I'm under constant threat, thinking about the self-affirming nature of God and my own inability to self-affirm may not be as particularly helpful. But if I stand up here and think, man, people don't like me. They're not going to want to listen to what I have to say. And I'm really insecure about that. And my my work will never be quite good enough for people. And I say, you know what? God invites me into his self-affirming voice. He's the one that can speak into who I am. He's the one who can affirm me. Now I have a mechanism or I have a way to bring my precise anxieties into the precise thing that God isn't anxious about. So our third um, area is that we are invited into the practice of godly, non-anxious living. So wherever you are, as it relates to your anxiety, God is inviting you into a place of non-anxious living. 
He's inviting you back to your cre- the created intention. God is saying, don't be anxious about anything. It's not so much a command. It's more of like an invitation. Whenever you read through scripture, you'll see over and over again, don't be afraid. Don't, don't be anxious. Be anxious about nothing. And it's like, depends on how you read it. You can be like, um, what are you going to, I don't need to be scolded for the very thing that's hurting me. Like, that doesn't help me. Telling me not to be something when, when I am that doesn't seem like a particularly kind thing to do. I like to think about it, what a good parent will often do for a child that's scared. Is, is a parent will often take the child and hold the child and say something like, you don't need to be afraid. Or don't, don't be afraid. It's like, it's not a scolding. It's saying, you don't need to be afraid because I'm, I got you. I'm here with you. And so when we hear Jesus saying, we hear the scripture saying, don't be anxious. It's not scolding you. It's saying, you don't need to be. You're invited into a very different way of living than what you're doing. You don't have to be there. And I'm inviting you into a very different um, place of uh, being. When years ago we were in Hocking Hills and we got caught in a terrible lightning storm out in the middle of a trail. And it terrified, we were all terrified. But our, one of our daughters was at a unique age developmentally where it instilled a level of fear of storms in her that was frightening to her. It was traumatic. Like you'd hear the rumble at home and she would be coming running for our bedroom in the middle of the night. Didn't matter that her bed was only 20 feet across the hall and our doors were open. Um, it, I would hear the thunder and I'd be like, okay, I know she's coming. If a thunderstorm was forecasted, I just got out blankets and a pillow and had it laying beside the bed because I knew she's going to be there because it's terrifying. And it was always amazing to me. She would, she would run over to our room in absolute terror, and she'd lay down on the floor beside my bed, and I would just hang my arm over the side of my bed, and she'd grab my finger, and she was asleep in the middle of the storm within seconds or minutes. Because why? Because now she was invited into something. She was, she was welcome to be in the place of non-anxiety. I was, it's like, it's in that moment, and for many of us as parents, it's like, we are like God to our children. And that's, a, that's the responsibility of parents that's really, really heavy, is that our children see us as God-like. We are, we are all powerful. We have the answers. We're wise. We know. And so our children often reach to us in much the same way that we reach to God. And we provide that sense of security for our children. That's the gift that we have to give. Uh, and so in many regards, I was functioning a bit like God. I'd put my hand down, and she'd grab my finger, and she'd go to sleep. And it's because she was in the space of non-anxious presence. I, was, I wasn't afraid. It wasn't, it wasn't that disturbing. It, was, it might wake me up because it's loud and startled me out of my sleep, but I wasn't sitting there just quaking. It was like I was not anxious. I wasn't afraid, and so she could go back to sleep. Can you bring that thing that you called to mind to the bedside of God and let him reach his hand down, and can you grab his finger? And perhaps you can use that as a word picture or an image or a, a metaphor that when you feel anxious, Run to the bedside of God and reach up and grab his finger and then lay down and go to sleep. Allow yourself to be in the presence of non-anxiety. 
So I want us to think about very precisely these words. You are invited into the practice of, God, of non-anxious living. What does that word imply? Practice. Ongoing. Good. Uh, ever, ever wonder why doctors just keep practicing? Like, the, why don't doctors just do their job rather than just keep practicing medicine? It's like, I don't want to go to somebody who's practicing on me. I want somebody to actually do it. It's like, but you'll never hear. You'll always hear that doctors are in practice. I work in the mental health field, and it's like I have a private practice. I don't have a, a private doing it. It's like I'm, it, there's a sense in which practice implies this ongoing process that never quite gets finished. And we have to come to terms with that, that with our anxieties, that we're invited into the practice of it. It's not going to be solved once and for all. We must have a cadence to our lives, and we, and we have to come to terms with our anxiety um, is going to be an element of practice. Um, and so we practice non-anxious living. If you look at Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, um, the first practical step of dealing with our anxieties is that we must learn. Um, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's like, will we take the position of a learner as it relates to our anxieties? Do you have the courage to look at your anxieties carefully and, and, and examine them and say, I'm going to learn everything that there is for me to learn. Because practice implies learning. It means I got to apply myself. I got I to take that responsibility for learning. I, I think about um, Kevin Ware was a basketball player. I don't know, probably it was five, six, eight years ago. And Mar during March Madness, he um, catastrophically broke his leg. Like it's bones coming out of the skin kind of break. Uh, and... And I, I thought about, like, if he ever wants to play again, he's going to have to apply himself diligently to recovery. And he did nothing wrong. Like, like there was no, like, he didn't do anything wrong. Nobody did anything. To, it's like his leg broke. It was just a freak accident, just the way he planted his foot. It's just something, something didn't work. And it's like, if he wants to play again, if he wants to walk again, he's going to have to learn. He's going to have to apply himself to learning. And so we, we, we place ourselves in this, this element of teachability, and we recognize that there's things we do not know that we need to know. And so we apply ourselves, and we read, and we listen, and we learn so that we can grow. Um, and Jesus says, learn from me. As you follow me, you will come to know the gentleness. You will begin to know when, you re when God reaches his hand down over the edge of the bed, and you grab his finger in the middle of the storm, you will learn what that feels like. You will learn the presence of God in a very real way. Jesus said, come to me. Take my yoke. Learn from me. The second um, element is train, is, is we learn things, and then we, then we go to work. Then we begin to practice. So let's say someone has anxiety about um, a particular fear. Let's say it's like a fear of standing in a line, and, and their body just reacts like violently to standing in a, in a closed space where there's people lined up. Think about like a TSA line. Like, you have the cattle chutes, and you are standing in that line, and there's no way to get out. And if there's chaos, 
uh, you have, you're stuck. Like, there's no way out. And there are some people who that just act, that activates every fear in their body. They're, it's like they're not able um, to do that. You can't go, st- I just can't stand the line, which means I can't fly, which means I can't go anywhere, which means, I'm, which means I'm stuck, which means I'm limited, which means I start to avoid and I start to withdraw. I start to, uh, and, and so what's that person going to do if they're going to apply themselves to this anxiety? is they're going to expose themselves to lines. They're going to learn everything that they can learn, and then they're going to train themselves, and they're going to walk courageously into the very line that they fear, and they're going to, be, they're going to train themselves to walk through that anxiety so that their body can begin to respond, so that they're able to mentally and emotionally and physically do the task. And so training becomes a critical aspect First um, Timothy 4, 7 says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Like, train, enter into a season of training. It's part of our, that spiritual discipline or that spiritual responsibility of we bring ourselves into something and we're training ourselves um, to deal with our anxiety well. And, it's a, and again, we practice and practice and practice. We keep on the training process. The third... Um, practical step is that then we assemble together. We get together with other people. Um, Hebrews 10.25 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the, and all the more as you see the day approaching. One of the most critical aspects of, of managing our anxieties is we bring them into community. We bring our anxieties to our people, to people who love us, to people who care about us, to people who will encourage us, who will challenge us, who will train with us, who will learn with us, who will help us, who will teach us, where we will listen to us. And so we're, we're bringing ourselves into the community into relationship, and in that space, we experience the presence of God. Because where two or three gather together in my name, Jesus said, there I am in the midst of you. In that space, you will find my finger hanging over the bed that you can grab onto. You will find in that space of community the opportunity to really press through these things that can be debilitating to you. So, let me go back to this chart. So if you bring your insecurities into community, my responsibility to you is to talk to you about the self-affirming nature of God and the reliability of his voice and to remind you of what he says about you. So if I come to you and I would say, I'm feeling really, I'm feeling really anxious and I really don't believe that people like me. Um, and that, that's actually was one of my core narratives in my life for a very long time. It was, I have lots of stories through growing up where my, one of my deepest insecurities was that I don't believe people like me and they don't want to hear what I have to say. Um, I started to run into some serious contradictions with that because people would ask me to come and preach in churches. Um, I have a business where people pay me to come and talk to me. It's like everything about my life spoke a different word than that, and yet I had this deep internal narrative that people ultimately don't like me, and it reached, stretched way back to early memories of stories that it, what occurred in my life. 
And I was at the gym one day, a long time ago, with a friend, and I was I was very anxious about my career because I had just finished grad school, and I was certain that I wasn't certain we were going to be able to financially make it. My business was very young, and I was very insecure. Um, and I was at the gym, and I was talking to my friend, and I was we I had a job offer in Virginia Beach that was going to pay me probably about five times the amount of money I was currently making. And it seemed like the only way I was going to survive economically. And so I was certain I was going to take this job. And he looked at me and he said, Tim, you know, I hope you don't take that job. He said, it sounds like it might be the right opportunity. I hope you don't take it because I like you. And I remember thinking, like, that's not, that's not what my voice is saying. What he did is I brought into relationship my anxiety. He met me with the gift from God, God's self-affirming. And, and when, when we get to speak to other people, we get to bring the confidence of God's voice to others. And so you bring your anxieties to me, I bring mine to your, and we, and we meet each other in that space. When you go to life group and someone's fearing scarcity of resources, we have the opportunity to share and to be generous we have the opportunity to encourage, to recognize and remind people of the provision that God has made for them in the past. We give them confidence that this is what God can do. And, and we bring our fears into the community. If there's constant threats, if our health is a concern, if all of these threats that press against us, I'm just worried, I'm just scared, I'm not sure I'm going to make it, you then meet me in that space and remind me of the sovereignty of God. When you come with your anxieties, I meet you with the voice of God. And in that, we help each other. In that, we find a, relief, uh, a reduction in our anxiety. And so that's our path. That's in broad strokes our path through anxiety. Um, I'm going to be speaking one more time during Pastor Brian's sabbatical. And I'm going to, I'm going to be sharing more practicals about how do we deal with anxiety? How do we deal with it in our bodies? How do we deal with it in our minds? How do we deal with it relationally? Uh, and so we'll, we'll build on this um, a few weeks from now um, and talk a bit more about how, um, how we can manage our anxieties in a more practical or tangible way. And I'll give you a lot of hands-on. Um, here are some things that you might find very helpful in, in managing anxieties. Um, let's... Um, bow our heads for a word of prayer and um, the worship team can come on up and then we will um, then we'll have communion here in just a couple minutes Lord thank you for um, your promise that you will be with us that you will encourage us thank you that we can rely on um, your self-affirming words that you have um, that you have the ability to say something is good and that it can last and that we can, that we can tap into your, um, the confidence in who you are and that we can bring our insecurities and our fears and our threats um, into community and to you. Um, I just pray that you would um, continue to meet us in this space as we transition into a time of communion. In Jesus' name, amen.